1: This is Severe MMA, Severe MMA, Severe MMA, Severe MMA, the Severe MMA podcast is finally here.
0: Welcome, welcome, everybody! It's episode two hundred and sixty-eight of the Severe MMA Podcast. My name is Sean Sheehan. Joined today by Philip O'Connor to talk about. Um, there's a big week coming up in the world of MMA. It was a bit of a, a bit of a week. We had we had we had a week in MMA there in the last couple of days, anyway, with some news and some good news and some bad news and all things like that. But Philip, how are you
1: anyway? Before we get into all that, Jesus, I'm not too bad at all. It actually starts it's starting to feel like things are getting back to normal, Sean. When we're actually we're actually talking about news and not about who's not wearing their face mask kind of thing, you know, so with the, the events that have happened over the last few weeks and with what's ahead of us in the, the UFC and Abu, Abu Dhabi, you know, I refuse to call it Fight Island because it's not a fucking island, it's a peninsula, you know, and somebody has to stick up for these things, but you know, with all these things coming up there is plenty going on, so you know it is, but it's still a weird time, so you know, you, there is no going back to normal, normal is not going to be normal anymore in the future, so you know, it's bizarre, but sure, I'm struggling away way through it, but um, I was uh, allowed to sort of go out and get hair because obviously Sweden never locked down and that kind of thing. So it's been a little bit different, but it's fascinating to see sort of pubs opening up and people queuing up to get haircuts and people, you know, uh, Gaelic football teams going back training, Hurling teams going back training and how, you know, everything. It's like it's like the springtime, basically, when you're looking back at Ireland at the moment, you know? Yeah,
0: so it's weird, like, you know, people are calling it the new normal and stuff. It, it's not, like, it's, it's just so, such an odd time. It's, in one way, like, it's an experience to live through, like, that we'll never forget. These are times we'll speak of in the future. And, like, okay obviously it's a very negative time with a lot of people sick and dying and everybody, but I, like, I feel like the, the bad times might actually benefit a lot of people as well and kind of make people uh, you know a little bit stronger maybe a little bit more appreciative you No, know, I'm sure people have had bad things happen to them in, in their lives and they've made you know it, appreciate life more a little bit after it and things like that and I know it's uh, you know, we—that's uh, very much looking on the bright side of it, because there's very, obviously very bad sides of it too. But hopefully that can happen. Hopefully we can take some sort of positive. I mean, I, before we start into all of it, you are know, you're talking about Sweden there. How has it gone for Sweden? Like, because I haven't uh, been kind of so caught up in Ireland over the last while and with MMA and everything. Like, there was the one of the first things I heard about Sweden was Sweden was kind of locking itself down and was you know they weren't putting in the lockdown, but the, the Swedish people were doing it. Like, what what way has it developed over the last while, and how are they getting on now?
1: Okay, I'm I'm glad you've just let me know that we're going for a four-hour Joe Rogan podcast. Oh, Logan God, oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 you've got, I, you I got 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I've got 30 seconds here we go right so Sweden basically said that they had the same data as everybody else but they they drew a different set of conclusions mm-hmm. they decided not to go for the lockdown because they figured that they wanted to have a mitigation strategy that they could do for months if not years right yeah. now we've seen other situations in the US we've seen it in the UK now where as we we're speaking the pubs are gonna open six o'clock tomorrow morning we've seen people desperate to get back out Steve Sweden never had that right so mm-hmm. what you did was you know there was a sort of a sense of social shaming right don't go out on the bus don't get on the underground you know work from home if you can wash mm-hmm. your hands and that kind of thing. Now it has been marginally successful in terms of you know the economic damage and life has been able to go on as normal but like Ireland like the UK like America they've done they've just failed dismally to protect the elderly here. Mm-hmm. So once this disease gets yeah. in uh, to old folks homes and retirement homes it's absolutely merciless and they failed dismally to do that. Now there's many reasons for that and we might even return to that in you know in a totally different podcast down the road. So you know they, they, they've done what they've done. I mean in terms of sort of mental health and things like that i think people are, are doing okay but you know this, these things are so complex uh, sean and you, you're a scientist you know you're well, a man who loves his numbers you you know well yeah you know we, we can stretch to that <laughs> yeah know? we've got but, um, <laughs> yeah shawnee scientist you know yeah, exactly. but uh, you know the, 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 what we're learning at the moment is the difference between sort of opinion and actual facts, right? Mm-hmm. And the other thing is that, you know, what we actually learn from this is that science doesn't have all the answers. It just teaches us better ways of asking questions. So at the moment, I was speaking to a Sweden state epidemiologist a guy called Anders Tegnell last week and I was saying to him, what have you learned? And he said, we don't even know what we've learned yet. Mm-hmm. Do you realise how early in the process we are here? So this is, like we were saying, that's, you know, how we got into this segment. You know, we're going to be learning from this for a long time in terms of changing our behaviour. You mean never shake your neighbor's hand again Do you know that mm-hmm. kind of thing you know yeah. if he's over 70 or whatever and you happen to meet him you know so all of these things are sort of changed, and we're learning from it to me they did some things well to me they've also done some things very very badly in particular you know my my whole point or the whole point of my existence is mm-hmm. I try to stick up for people who can't stick up for themselves right mm-hmm. be that on a soccer pitch or in a, a, a jiu-jitsu gym or whatever else it happens to be if I see people getting singled out not treated properly it fucks me off entirely right mm-hmm. and to see the people who built a country like Sweden and who built a country like America and who built a country like Ireland they should be able to live out their days in dignity and security and when that more. doesn't happen that fucks me off entirely and we need to find out what happened there and we need to hold people to account and we need to be fucking better at looking after people in our societies you know and you know that, that's across the board whether it be in the UFC looking after fighters better or whether it be us looking after retirement homes better
0: mm-hmm. I, I couldn't agree more one thing that you know really annoys me as well and I, I, I know you don't mean it but like we'll never be able to shake our neighbours hands again like that that's that really annoys me because like we will we we, things will change we'll get back this will pass it'll pass too and i'm probably one of the most negative people in the world like this because i think we're going to be like like this for years but i i think it'll pass too and we you know we need to get used to it a little bit but we also need to look ahead and look for better times ahead and you know hopefully hopefully they're coming
1: This is the thing. I mean, when I say that, I'm taking that as an example of something that might happen, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, I don't want that to happen. But one of the things that people were saying to me was, if you look at it, one one thing was the Spanish flu sort of disappeared. It had two spikes and disappeared. This is 1919, and 1920. So COVID could be like that because it's a similar kind of a thing. It's not the same. It's similar. But let's not get into the definitions here, you know. Mm -hmm. But certain things will change. The other thing is, so so if we learn learn from all these things, you know, that might give people sort of a better quality of life, life going forward. But I was just thinking that, you know, if I go to the football pitch at the end of my street, you have. To shake hands with absolutely everybody, mm-hmm. and if you don't do that, you're kind of seen as being distant. Somebody's like, Oh, would you shake, hands? you know? So that's just the way we've always greeted each other around here. That might have to change. Hopefully, it eventually change, changes backwards or it changes back again, you know. But mm-hmm. things will have to change. I do think that we're going to be living with this, like you say, for a period of time, hopefully a short enough period of time. But like with, with, with all of these crises and that kind of thing, there are also more opportunities. So hopefully, we can come out of, out of it a little bit better than what we went into it,
0: yeah. 100%. I suppose kind of moving into time and there was very sad news today with. Uh Habib Nurmagomedov's father, Al Dunmanap uh passed away, and he fought. You know, he fought a a big battle with it over the last what maybe two or three months. Uh, I know you put up yeah. a, a tweet about it, and I saw Ker- uh, Karim Zidan tweeted out about it as well, about how important of a man he was for that area. You know, taking people away from extremism and bringing them into sport in a a very you know obviously in, in Dagestan in the Caucasus, they're a very, you know. A very dangerous sort of area in a lot of ways and where people can get carried into different things and he saved a lot of people and okay there's i'm sure there's negative things you can say about himself and maybe even people in that area as well but uh obviously when one of the best fighters of all time his, his father passed away and not just his father one of his head trainers a head trainer of a lot of people uh, that have fought in uh, in the ufc and in pfl and other places very sad news wasn't it today
1: it was terrible to hear because you know you always kind of hoped in the back of your mind that you know he was going to be like Habib that he was going to be like one of the fighters one of the dozens of fighters that he's put into the professional game that somehow he'll turn this around in the, in the championship rounds and unfortunately it wasn't to be and it's just it's so so sad you know I mean I in one way and I said this in the tweet I was delighted that he got to see his son become champion of the world I was delighted that he got to see his son you know really become the most feared man of the game I was delighted to see his philosophy because you know, a lot of coaches, you know, he teaches MMA in a very specific way. It's very grappling heavy, but you know, it's a very, very clever way of game planning. Even though he didn't get to be in Khabib's corner a whole lot, you could see his stamp on everything that was being done in Khabib's fights, you know. And even though it was so basic and it was so brutal, it just changed the game. You know, if you think of the lightweight division five years ago and you think of what it looks like now, you know, Khabib has just changed everything. And the question that everybody asks about any lightweight is, could he beat Khabib? And so far that answer has been no. But I am delighted that the man lived... You know, I think he was only 57 years old when he died today but I'm delighted that he lived He lived to see his son become the champion of the world and when he left this world that Khabib was still on top of it I mean you'd have to wonder though Sean about you know he played such a huge role in Khabib's life you know he was just he was you know the, the catalyst for getting him started he taught him essentially all he knows now I know Khabib has been to American trade and trained others and that kind of thing but you know he would not be the fighter he is without his father his father's 98% of his fighting DNA you you know mm-hmm. and then you know what does that mean then for the region for all these other guys who are coming up who were seeking out Abdul for his knowledge to train with him and to be part of that team and you know and for Khabib himself now because that man has earned a tremendous amount of money he, he will never have to fight again he's financially independent for the rest of his life you know provided now you know he's not the kind of man who drinks and goes to nightclubs you know but if he manages his money he'll never have to fight again and I wonder what the passing of his father is going to do with his motivation who will he be fighting fighting for the next time he gets into the octagon if that happens at all and if it were the case that we were to lose his father but also khabib as an athlete in the same day that would be very very sad indeed i could fully understand why he may never return after this because you know the, you know, the, the probably the greatest thing he could do in honor of his father is to leave his gloves in the cage next time out you know mm. but it's just it's such a sad day you know both for the sport but ultimately for the family and for khabib i mean you mentioned there rightly as well that you know that region they are from is very conservative. You know, they may not have the best attitude to women or to LGBTQ uh, tea people or that kind of thing. And absolutely, that's another thing that I would, you know, I would fault them over. Absolutely. But not on a day like today. Yeah. This is a man who, in a conservative region, in a violent region where, you know, there's very little, you know, we're still talking about a place where, you know, you, you tell your story with your fists, you know. Yeah. And yet he was able to take so many young people and put them through and through. And I know, I don't think there was ever a woman in that camp at all or ever a female fighter that came out. Of it. but still he was able to take so many young men and in from that sort of conservative standpoint that he had uh, be it religious or, or, or moral or otherwise and he was able to make something of them and he was able to give them a future that maybe they didn't have at the time and you know no matter what you can say about everything else the man is still to be commended for that and it's just as i say it's just it's so so sad both for the region and for the sport but for, you know so much so for his family
0: yeah and as you said there, like it's <laughs> it's almost bad to talk about, like, Habib's future at this time, but, like, it's... I remember watching the Michael Jordan documentary and seeing how his father dying affected him and Mm. Fedor as well, you know, he was almost going to fight Brock Lesnar and his father passed away and that affected him very badly. It's... And it's like especially someone like Habib, who as you know, as you said, his father was right there with him, ninety eight percent of him, uh, and his fighting ability. And we we saw videos coming out today of him training with him, when, you know, on pictures when him when he was young and everything, and bringing him up the way he is. Mm-hmm. And Habib has always been a guy who, you know a lot of people in MMA talk about I do it from the fans, I do it from my family. I do, like, Habib is all about family. See, a few of the fighters today have pulled out of the, their fights in Fight islands or, or uh, <laughs> Abu Dhabi so that, uh, so that they can stay and go to the funeral or wherever it might be or to support Habib. Like, that's the sort of you know, these guys are, are real family. Like, they, they don't, you know, they don't... Uh, the colours don't run, if you want to put it that way. And, like, there is a chance... I know MMA retirement's never hold or anything, but, like, maybe Habib will want to come out and he'll want to fight for his father and he'll want to beat everyone in the world, you know, and, and dedicate it to him, but there's also a chance he mightn't do that. And I suppose it is a chat for another day, but it's an MMA podcast as well, and I suppose we have to talk about uh, MMA. And, like, not, not just that, but, like, losing... You know, you're one of your head trainers. I know he goes to AKA as well as you mentioned there, and Javier Mendez and Daniel Carmi and all those guys as well. But that's going to be huge as well, huge for the area, huge for Habib being the, the number one fighter coming from there, I suppose. So you know, it's a, it's a very sad day in in uh, in more than one way for for Habib and all that team, but. um you, know, what, what yeah, you I think it's
1: it's interesting us. as well, Sean. Like one of the just the discussions that we always had was his father was alive was the yeah. fact that he wasn't able to get a, yeah. a visa to visit the United States, right? And you know, in the beginning when Khabib was still a sort of an up and coming fighter, we, we used to talk about how that would affect him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is not this is not news. It's not just because his exactly, father is yeah. gone that you know this thing of don't speak. Either. We've always mm-hmm. known how important his father was to him. And after that fracas with Conor McGregor in Las Vegas that time, when he beat Conor and then you know he jumped the cage and went after Dylan Dallas and that thing the first thing he did was he apologised to his father yeah. his father wasn't even there and he came into the press conference I was there and he came in and he said you know my basically he said my father's got to kick my ass for behaving mm-hmm. like this and it wouldn't surprise me if it happened because his father was a very very principled man you know mm-hmm. and you don't behave like that and the, the 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 equation that I'm having a hard time solving at the moment is Sean that you know what what's left for Khabib you know a rematch with Conor I think you know the, the death of your father is bound to change you especially as a man right mm-hmm. I, I just think that it's going to you know Cause you to focus on everything else. On and Khabib has children himself. What's it going to do for his role as a father? He's now lost his guiding light, he's lost his friend, he's lost his coach, he's lost the person that he wants to please most in this world, right? When he fought. He didn't fight for himself. He fought to please his father, you know. And it's almost like going back to the old Godfather, father movies or that kind of thing, because it's that kind of patriarchal thing. And some people would find that very suffocating, but other people thrive in it. And I think Khabib is one of those people who really thrived under his father's tutelage. Khabib was going to do that in a fighting sense. And it can be very, very difficult then. You know, I was uh, chatting with a Norwegian footballer, I know, and she was saying how hard it is to find a motivation when you've nothing to get motivated for. And if Khabib's father and honoring the family was his motivation at the time, now, now that's done you know so I mean like like every fight fan I want to see him in there again I want to see that Conor rematch I want to see what a Conor McGregor on the top of his game could do I still want to see him fight Tony despite the fact that the MMA gods just will not allow it I still want to see that fight happen even if they're pensioners you know but I do think that you know it's up to him then and I mean if he was to step away what could we say you know he'll step away undefeated as far as anybody knows he has put in some of the greatest performances in there and accepting some of the greatest grappling performances that anybody has ever seen you know so he doesn't owe me or he doesn't owe any fan or any journalist or Dana White or anybody else absolutely anything at this point in time but you know I really hope that whatever it is that he decides to do in the future that he feels comfortable that he became the man that his father wanted him to be and that he really did bring honour to both the region but most of all to his father that his father was happy Happy the Habib was his son.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I, ho- I hope he does continue to fight. Obviously, because you know I, I've always talked about, and we can leave everything aside apart from fighting ability. But like himself and Conor McGregor, I think are the two best lightweights in the world. And I thought it was always a crying shame that. Okay, Habib hasn't fought more. He's been injured and lots of different things. But I think it's a crying shame as well that McGregor hasn't fought more at 155 pounds. Okay. If we were to lose, kind of both of them. McGregor retired and I know he'll come back. But uh, if Habib was to step away, I think it'd be a, be a crying shame. But hopefully, hopefully that doesn't happen. Um, okay, we're going to preview this whole obviously UFC 2-5-1 card and talk about Five Fight Island and the improvements they've made with the, the whole COVID-19 thing and all. But I have to mention Brendan Schaub here because a couple of people have... Uh, A couple of people have asked about it, and like, I, I, I know. I know Brendan Schaub is kind of not connected to MMA anymore but he has a big MMA podcast and lots of people listen to him and I feel like we ha- like we kind of have to mention it like he's talked for the last few weeks he's about kind of flouting the rules about not giving his shit saying that he's young and he's healthy and if he gets it it'll make absolutely no difference to him and lo and behold he got it and what did he say I'm fine my family's fine unfortunately he had a show in front of 350 people a couple of days ago he flew on a plane there and to and from it I don't know where he got it okay he might have got it there or wherever he got it I wasn't fucking stupid enough to listen to his podcast, but uh, (laughs) like, how... But when we started this I remember two of us did a podcast and you kind of said the people and, and I, I agreed with you at the time the people kind of need to shut up and listen to the professionals and okay the, the, the professional advice can change whether it's not wearing a mask to wearing a mask to everything like that but I think a lot of things now wearing the mask washing your hands uh, you know trying to avoid big crowds trying to stay away from people don't shake hands I think everyone kind of agrees on that now that's the best way to mitigate it the best way to keep everyone safe uh, he has just seemed to completely not give a shit about that and not only not Give a shit about that. He only cares about himself and he said i'm fine my family's fine what about the 350 people in that crowd and okay they bought the tickets they cho- chose to go there but if he didn't do it have, they wouldn't have that choice to make like what are any of them sick are any of their family sick or any of their grandmothers or grandfathers sick like and the, the worst thing is well right he's doing it and he's giving it to them but he's gone out telling people and I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of young impressionable people listening to him and saying we're young doesn't give it doesn't matter like i think it, qu- it quickly changed from uh people should not say anything about it and listen to professionals till we need to come out and kind of tell people what to do and what to leave and I think it's even more it was very important obviously at, at the very start well aus in America are in Ireland anyway, maybe it's different than Sweden and America and places but in America now third the place Ireland was and the u k was and everywhere else was a while back they're still fucked they're they're in in a bad place, and this guy is encouraging people basically to go out and spread it around. And they might be fine, but it's the other people that are not going to be fine. Like, how dangerous do you think that is? Someone like in that in his position, giving that impression to people that it's grand to go out and do that, and even after he gets it.
1: Well, this is what I sort of object to. You know, we mentioned Joe Rogan a little bit earlier on. I know Joe. I love Joe. We've all met him in Las Vegas, knocking around. He's a great character and everything else like that. right? But these guys aren't scientists, right? They are not experts. They are <clears throat> essentially, they're, you know, stoners thinking out loud with an audience of millions or hundreds of thousands of people every week, right? I mean, the Brendan thing is just, that's like the zeitgeist at the moment in America. In America, if you wear a mask, you're weak, right? And it has become a very politicized thing, right? You won't tell me what to do. You know, I've seen people use, and uh, what was previously used by... Women's rights activists, they used to talk about my body, my choice in relation to abortion, right? Mm-hmm. But now you're seeing people doing it in relation to masks. And it's got look at the whole thing has become so screwed up, right? And you mentioned the, the key word in what you said, you know, of this part of the whole thing was being selfish, right? Right? You don't do this, you know, in most cases, you don't act, uh, you, you, you have to act in an unselfish way, right? It's not going to affect me. COVID 19 is not going to kill. I, I'd, like, i put money on no listener to the Severe NNA podcast. podcast is going to die from COVID-19, right? Mm-hmm. But I guarantee you that somebody who listens to this podcast will lose somebody they love, right? And that's why you and I and Dana White and Brendan Schaub have to wear masks, right? It's I can't put it any simpler than that, Sean, right? One of the things that hasn't changed from the moment this started, the first video story I did about COVID-19 or the coronavirus was on February 19th. And at that stage, there was 49 cases in all of Europe and no deaths. Right mm-hmm. now, since then, you know what's happened. Sweden's over five thousand deaths at the moment. America is just streets ahead. In Florida, where the USC held three cards, right? They are out the door with cases in Florida. They're out the door with cases in Arizona. It's the same thing in Texas. I think it's very, very similar in Nevada. You know, like so. These places are just sort of flying. There's so many cases they can't keep up with it. In Houston, Texas, of all places, they don't have. They're saying that they're not going to have hospital hospital capacity to get over the weekend. And Brendan Schaub is out there making a name for himself. I said, "Ooh, didn't it affect me." Mm-hmm. I was like, Brennan, sit the fuck down, mm-hmm. right? Shut the fuck up. This virus hasn't changed, right? Your experience of the virus is not the virus, right? Somebody, I was talking to a young fellow this evening who was probably about 27, 28, and he had it, and he barely even noticed it. He only found it afterwards when he did the antibody. He says, We know that. We know it's not going to kill you, and we don't care, mm-hmm. right? The fact of the matter is that you pass it on from one person to the next to the next, and that's how it winds up and in an old folks' home. You might meet somebody on the tube who's going to work in those places. You You might meet somebody in a in a shop, you might have somebody in your family who's working, you know, who comes into contact with people, you know. One of the things that I found here, the area I live in in Stockholm, Sean, is the worst hit in all of Sweden when it comes to infections per capita and deaths, right? And the reason for that is that so many of my neighbors work in public transport, specifically their their taxi drivers, right? So can you think of being with a stranger? and you know like I'm trying to uh, do a story about this at the moment it's quite difficult right but people coming back from Northern Italy in February where you know wealthy Swedes have been skiing and they're getting into a taxi driven by my next door neighbour and he's sitting in there with them for 20-25 minutes and they just picked up they have some lovely fresh COVID to pass on there right now he's driving that taxi for another you know 10 hours a day and you know this shit writes itself so Brendan Shaw being out there I I just I beg absolutely anybody who's listening to this podcast who also listens to uh, to Brendan or to Joe take these things with a pinch of salt right you need to ask yourself where is this information coming from and if it's only coming from Joe or from Brendan then I'm sorry that's not good enough you need to be looking to the authorities and I know there are people who are doubtful about vaccines and everything else like that despite the overwhelming evidence of their efficacy you know but just you know go to the source of these things you have to listen to educated people and even though they differ you know but that's where you're going to get the real information states are not lying to you there's no deep state here trying to take the piss or anything else like that they're not trying to control your mind with vaccines or any of this kind of bullshit, right? Listen to the common sense advice. And it is common sense. They tell you to wash your hands, stay at home for your symptoms and try to stay away from the elderly. They are telling you non-essential travel. Still, the Department of Foreign Affairs in Ireland is saying that non-essential travel should be avoided. That's basically what comes down to. The same things all over the world and anybody saying anything different needs to be either you know, questioned or ignored. Yeah,
0: I, I couldn't agree more. Right, let's let's talk about some fights. And we'll, we'll talk about the, the UFC's COVID thing uh, after these because we need to talk about a bit of <laughs> we got go fucking mad we'll drive everyone away <laughs> yeah. Do, these three fights coming up because I I, I I watched a lot of fights going back for these three fights and uh I'm very interested to know which one you're most looking forward to we've Cameron Usman versus Gilbert Burns for the welterweight title headlining the card we've Alexander Volkanovski versus Max Holloway in the co-main event and we've Perian versus Jose Aldo in the, the co-co-main event if you want to call it that which one are you looking forward to the
1: most <laughs> the one I'm looking forward to the most is the fourth fight on the main card but you won't let me yeah. say that will you <laughs> go the on, go on. Feel, feel free no, I, I really want I, I really want to see what Rose Namajunas is going to do you know mm. that's just I I just want to know if she wants if she's back you know if she's really back or if she's just doing this for a paycheck and that's just the one that sticks out of me from me the most you know but I mean I think camera uh, uh, Cameron against uh, Gilbert Burns is going to be one of those that's that's just fascinating because you know it's just one of those clashes of styles it's just I, I don't know it's one of those ones that's hard to predict Predict if you look at it, Volkanovski against Ma- Max Holloway, yeah, I kind of think the Volkanovski, I just have that feeling that Max's time has passed and the same thing with Petr Jan against uh, Jose Aldo, I just, you know, the idea of, of Aldo going down to bantamweight and getting a title shot and everything else like that, that's just great you know, um, I remember talking to a congressman in America a good while ago, he wanted to introduce the Ali Act, we've spoken about that before, right, yeah. but he wanted to have rankings where you know, you have to make your way up the rankings and you have to get your title shot that way, whereas you know, you, you know if you're on Dana White's in his good books for ten minutes at the end of the fight some night, you could find yourself fighting for a title. Yeah. So the idea of Aldo fighting for a bantamweight title to me is just it's a little bit nonsensical. I just feel this is what cheapens UFC belts at times, you know, mm-hmm. when Brock Lesnar can come back in after not fighting for years and fight for a title or that kind of thing. You know, it's fine with Daniel Cormier. You know, he can fight if he wants to fight bantamweight in the morning, let him do if he can make the weight, mm-hmm. which he can't, you he know. Can because he's done event. it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But but Aldo, Aldo getting, like, you know, you're supposed to go up the weight classes as you get older. And, and Aldo is going down the weight class. It just seems mental to me. And I hate the way he looks at Bantamweight. I just hate, would you see him weigh in at Bantamweight, I just hate the way he looks at that kind of thing. But Jan is a, a fantastic, fantastic fighter. He's an exciting fighter. If he wins that, which I kind of expect him to do, I think it's going to do great things for him because, you know, we saw what happened to Connor. You know, Connor came over the threshold and was a superstar after that. Jan will be, you know, he won't be of the same caliber as Connor there, but it's going to be fascinating to see. I kind of feel for Max Holloway because I've always loved, like he's just one of those guys who never takes a step back. He gets in there and he gets it done, and you know puts on exciting fights. He doesn't back down, you know. But I, I always hate to see fighters take damage, you know. And I just figured that you know, I don't know what it is. I just have a bad feeling about him going up against Volkanovski because I just think that Vol- Volkanovski is on the upward curve right now.
0: Mm-hmm. I. All right, let me. I, I have a few rants. Well, not rants, but uh, I watch. Like I was just saying, I'm watching a lot of these fights, and the one you mentioned, there, Volkanovski versus Holloway. So, watching, their, I watched back their first fight again, and I watched it very closely. And I actually, it's the first time I think I've ever done this. I actually went back and I listened to the podcast to see what I said uh, after to make sure I was kind of aligned with myself, and wow. it, I was right in what I said. <laughs> And i think like it was one of those fights right where and i don't want to get into a full judging debate again but i i would love to do it so i might but it was one of those fights where you know it could have been 48-47 but it probably closer to like a 50-45 in terms of the way volkanovski dominated but he dominated By making the fight his sort of fight, which was a slow-paced fight, and that's not a negative thing to say, it's a slow-paced fight, if the other fighter is a fast-paced fighter, you're better off making a fucking slow pace, and you're winning the fight. But he kicked his legs from him early, didn't allow Max Holloway to push forward, forced Holloway to switch into southpaw, when he did that he came inside and he attacked with big hooks, something which you wouldn't be expecting... From someone like Alexander Volkanovsky against someone like like Max Holloway, and he just everything Holloway did, he had an answer for it. Now, if Holloway, how, how do you stop that? You know, if you someone wants a slow pace fight, you turn it into a fast pace fight. You move all around. Holloway had um, Holloway had some uh, some good times with those front kicks right up through the middle, using his lint and stopping. Uh, Alexander Volkanovski from kicking him by moving to southpaw because the the, the the kicks that he was throwing in southpaw, the leg kicks, were still good, but they weren't as effective. And the, the longer the fight went as well, they kind of went down. So for me, I think Max Holloway, I think he needs to be more varied here. I think he needs... and uh, He's not really a guy who fights... A long fight. He he fights a long fight because he's fast and because he's big and because he's agile. But he's not the guy who's keeping on the end of the jab and throwing a one two right mm. down the middle. You know, you see Max Holloway with his kind of odd style of the two hands right up and he's going bang 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 bang. You know, landing lots of shots at the one time. But I need, I think he needs to adjust. If you know, we, we say it in sports: if you're uh, if you're not going forward, you're going backwards. And I think that's maybe an issue for Max Holloway now. I said in that podcast I did at the time as well that Vol- um, Holloway will need to change but Volkanovski will change as well and he'll be better. And one thing I think is interesting in this fight and it's a, at the time I thought right Volkanovski he fought this fight very much I think to win it late and be still in there late and not get tired late. Now he did get tired in the fifth round but sure, who couldn't get fucking tired after 25 minutes <laughs> but I wonder how this will affect him. I was talking to uh, Paul Brown last week who works uh, in... Um, Team rhino and he does a bit of strength and conditioning and training and stuff like that. And he was talking about how it's the, d- the different kind of functional strength and conditioning and cardio you'd have. Like how, and I know Volkanovski might have a bit of a a bit of an advantage being out being out where he is, being been down under and there, maybe open back up uh, a little bit earlier or not. But will he have the five round pace this time? Will he be able to keep up as much? Like, is it a case of if Max can keep going? and get it into the third and fourth round, he might be able to take advantage of it a little bit better. I think, it's, I think it's a very, very interesting fight. I favour Volkanovski hugely, because I just think there's too much of a gap for Max Holloway to improve, but I think this is a fascinating technical fight, and usually when you see a really technical fight like this, where one guy has the answers all the way through the fight and they rematch and they're at a very high level there's a lot of new questions being asked and a lot of new answers will have to be come up with I said that cr- uh, insanely badly but you know what I mean I, I'm really <laughs> looking forward to this one what do you think what do you think about that point of kind of getting your cardio out to where it needs to be in the middle of a lockdown
1: I think that's really, really difficult. And we've seen a couple of fights over the last few cards now, over the last few weeks where people have, you know, guys or girls have gone out really, really hard in the first couple of, and they've just been, you know, wobbled on their feet, not because they were hit by anything, but just because they're exhausted, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that the difference in in sparring and not having the ability to bring in whoever you want, whenever you want, you know, not being able to find a guy who can do the things that Alexander Volkanovsky can do, that's going to make it a little bit more difficult. And there is that tendency, like you say, to go back and look at, you know, try to fight the same fight all over again except win it this time when you're exactly right Alexander Volkanovsky is probably going to come out and he'll do some of those things the leg kicks will probably be still there if he, if they're offered to him you know but I'd say he'll try to do things that, you know not necessarily completely differently but there'll certainly be a different game plan because we're dealing with a sport now that is so complex that you know I was looking back actually over uh, over Connor's fights against Nate Diaz and you know the, the leg kicks because the leg kick has, well, I don't know if it's only now we're noticing it but it's become such a, a deadly weapon especially against a go forward fighter, you know mm-hmm. that yeah, anytime you see it, you know that was what Connor did in the second. Was he kicked the front leg off Nate Diaz, and that limited Nate, you know, in everything he did for the rest of the fight, you know. But then by the next fight, uh, when Connor fought Eddie Alvarez, that was gone because he didn't need that tool, yeah. you know. So that's what's going to be interesting to see is what Volkanovski takes with him. I reckon the leg kicks are certainly going to be some of it, you know. But Holloway is one of those guys as well that you know sometimes we talk about him and Jose Aldo, and we think of their age, and we think of how how many miles they have in the clock, right? Mm-hmm. But they also have an incredible. Amount of experience, and they're the kind of guys who can bite down on the gum shield and who can hang in there despite the fact that the puzzle in front of them is, is so hard to solve. And that was what happened Holloway last time. It was just, you know, he just kept coming and coming and coming. And like I say, you know, I said he never took a step, a step back in the ring, but Volkanovski stopped him coming forward. So he wound up being in that place where no fighter wants to be. You're in range of either a jab or a, a kick to your front leg, and nobody likes being there. It's just horrible. You want to be either in or you want to be out, you know, especially if you're a striker. If you know, you want to be in there last Landed something, landed hooks, landed whatever, doing your your good work on the inside, or you want to be the hell away from there because nobody wants to get the leg kicked off of them. So you know, I, I'm kind of now. You know, I still want to see Rose Namajunas and, and what she's going to bring, but I'm certainly yeah, you've so, you've sold this Ooh, one to me. good. You're definitely <laughs> sold this one.
0: Isn't that a big problem as well with MMA? Like I always when I go back and watch five round fights. The problem with MMA and, you know, in boxing, sometimes we say, oh, he'll beat him in from round you know, 10 to 12 or around wh- or 8 to 12 or whatever it might be. It's impossible to play the long game against Ari uh, in MMA. Like, imagine you're going in fighting Volkanovski and you say, right... I know if I can kind of keep this pace up for the first maybe three rounds and four and five you might tire. But when it gets to round fucking four, three point five your legs are kicked off you and you can't move and you're like yeah. how am I going to bring the pace here I'm fucked. So that's, that's a big issue but it's funny you mentioned the leg kick because I think that's a big thing with this aldo Yan fight as well because we've I think it was that March Casey fight before where he got he got the calf kicked off him. I think that fight changed yeah. the game and that the calf kicks that have come in have kind of changed again. game. We've always, you know, had leg kicks but uh, there's only been a few uh, and it's my it was and most of them TKO, uh, leg kick TKO, the famous Twitter account uh, there as well. But Jose Aldo was one known for it. Like, Jose Aldo was known for kicking legs. He had to change up his game because he was fighting wrestlers like Chad Mendes and Frankie Edgar and whoever else it might be and he adjusted his game. I think he needs to bring him back for this Jan fight because Jan's a good wrestler and all that but Jan will stand and strike with him and watching that Uriah Faber fight I did it on the on the rewatch uh, this week and there's a, there's another thing I want to mention as well. but I really think Aldo needs to come out here and start firing in these leg kicks and I think he needs to use his size and he needs to use his power against uh, a slightly smaller man now I, I mean isn't hugely smaller than him Aldo's Heldo's a, a big guy and uh, uh, for that weight especially. But I think he needs to bang in those leg kicks. I think he needs to bang in the right hand as well against Jan because it's very open with him. But that brings big difficulty as well because watching Jan's fight and especially that Fabra fight and other fights with it as well. I've never, I don't think I've ever seen a fighter as good in, like, these close, clinched moments as Petr and just breaking from the clinch. Like, someone comes in, tries to throw the right hand, he might eat that right hand, but he'll fucking knock you out with an elbow when you come back. So, yeah. but there, there's a thing with Jan, he kind of keeps his left hand low, and his right hand, like, right up to his head. So, his one side of his body is completely protected, and the other side of his body is completely open, which is a complete trap. <laughs> it's a trap <laughs> among traps. But if... You know, you can get that cheese as well if you go in there and you poke it out. You know, you could if you know if you can get your hand out of there quick enough without getting it, that little mouse can get away with that cheese. And Jose Alda could be that mouse on Saturday night and land that big head kick or that big right hand. And he's wide fucking open for it. But uh, it is a try. It's more of a fucking bear trap than a mouse trap as well because you might hit him once, but he'll hit you five or six times coming back and he'll clinch up at you and he'll push you against the cage and he'll fucking knee you to the body and make it tough for you. Like, I... I'd, I hugely favour Jan here, but th- that's why Jan, I think, is so exciting as well. Because he's this guy coming up and he's destroying everyone, destroying legends like Uriah Faber. And there is... When you go back and look at him, like, I've, ne- I've looked at Jan in, in kind of detail before, but never like that, like, picking out kind of one thing like that. And he, it's brilliant. And I'm sure you will speak about it with other kind of uh, sports people as well, but... <laughs> I think great people and great fighters and great sports people are made even a little bit better when you see a little bit of fragility in them. Even if it's only a small thing. But I, I like it is oh, yeah. with Jan. But it, it makes I it makes this fight a little bit more exciting. I think it's a fantastic fight because there are two good stand-up fighters who will go in. I think, I think Aldo will struggle badly because Jan is kind of the next level of fighter and the kind of the Mai Tai Aldo uh fighting style is kind of gone now a little bit you need to be more varied you need to be more loose and and loosey-goosey as Petr Jan is but I'm really looking forward to this fight and uh that, that that little bit of hope for Jose Aldo and he's a lot of hope but that little bit of hope really gets me excited for what you think
1: but, but I think that's exactly, you know, that's exactly what's needed from from Aldo. It's if you're going up against somebody like Pellejaan, who's, you know, he's, he, he's innovating. He's doing things that are different. He's doing things on the cuff, this kind of thing. The way, you know, Conor started striking in Cage Warriors and in his early days in the UFC, these spinning wheel kicks and this kind of thing, right? But if Aldo goes back to basics, like goes back to being the really, really basic fighter that he was six, seven, eight years ago, you know, and just goes for those things. The leg kick's a huge part of Muay Thai. You want to keep the, the, like the opponent literally, Literally on the back foot. That's that's what it's all about. You don't want them with their weight on the front foot, so that they can transfer power from their back foot to their front foot. You just don't want that at all. And if Aldo can do that, I think that is you know it could be one of the, sort of the keys to victory for him. But I think he might need to do things differently. I think he might need to take him down. He might need to do you know th- things that aren't expected of him, or that we've you know we've we've not come to expect these things from him over the last while. And it's fascinating what you're saying, Sean, because one of the things I've been doing during the the non-lockdown here in Sweden is I've been mm-hmm. going over the history of the NBA. And boxing history as well. Mm-hmm. And just after finishing reading the biography of Muhammad Ali, and you were saying that, you know, like when we see people and when we see a little bit of frailty in it, like the most, probably the most famous uh, instance of boxing or game plan that Muhammad Ali ever came, ever had, came from the rumble in the jungle against George Foreman, rope a up. Mm-hmm. So he knew he wasn't going to be able to, to knock Foreman out. So he let Foreman punch himself out and then he won the fight. And, you know, so that's one of those things where if, when we saw that frailty and that fragility and, and, And then Ali went on too long in the end and he tried to do that against too many people who were more powerful than what Foreman was, you know. But at that moment, it was an absolutely brilliant, strategic thing to do against someone, And it was literally the only way he could beat George Foreman. Because if he was going to go, you know, stand a bang with George Foreman, he would have gotten murdered, you know. So that's the thing for Aldo is to, to, you know, again, if we talk about Volkanovski fighting a slow fight against Holloway because that's to his strength, then Aldo has to fight this one long. He has to fight this one from distance. He has to hurt Jan. He has to limit Jan ability to move and then try not to get involved and clinch his face on uh, up against the fence like I think if he has his back up against the fence and can take him down that's fine but other than that he just doesn't want to get caught on the inside because my god we saw what happened when he got caught on the inside when he threw one against Connor that time and it was all over fairly sharpish and that too was a title fight
0: Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more like I, I think if we've kind of a throwback Jose Aldo here where he's coming out trying throwing double uh, yeah. double flying knees and Cub Swanson after eight seconds yeah that's what we need like I, th- I think that's what we need from Aldo come out and throw fucking everything immediately because the the issue as well with Jose Aldo and we you know we see with a lot of champions and especially back in the day it was I think it was a little bit different because there was wasn't as many five round fights you know only five round main events came in afterwards so we were getting someone who was going from fighting three round fights and then they were fighting all five round fights or in um, in Aldo's case fighting in the WEC where he had a few five round fights but then he was coming into the UFC and obviously it's a it's a step up again although a lot of good guys in the WEC as well don't get me wrong but. We saw it with GSP. That kind of changed their style. Because you have to change your style to fight five rounds. Everyone does it. And he became a little bit more careful. Like, like I talked about with Volkanovski. Where you have to fight a slower paced fight to be able to go five rounds. When you have issues with cardio. Which we saw with Jose Aldo. With the Mark Hominick fight. I think he needs to throw that out the window now. I really do. Like, Because if he does that and he fights a five round po- fight uh, against uh, Perian I think he's on a hiding to nothing. To be honest, I think he needs to come out and attack him. And if he gets yeah. finished after two rounds or one round, you know, let the Fair let enough, the chips like. fall where they may. But come out and take this is his last chance at the UFC title. Let's play if he loses let's be honest here come out and throw it and maybe, maybe he won't maybe, maybe that's foolish and it's very easy for me to say that I'm not the one in there getting the fucking head elbow off me and getting taken down and smashed and putting up against the cage so it's easy for me to say don't get me wrong but
1: yeah, yeah, but the, but the yeah. other thing Sean is right. I, I don't think people realise unless they've actually been in the cage themselves or even in a jiu-jitsu match or whatever else, mm-hmm. I don't think people realise how long five five minute rounds oh, is long, yeah. it's murderous all together like mm-hmm. you know it's bad enough the 15 minutes it's because like let's not uh, forget here when the UFC started right they, they, they were open ended matches so it basically went on and on and on yeah. and on you know. and they brought in rounds then but they didn't want it to be as, as slow as boxing they didn't want two or three minute rounds because that would have been too short and they settled on five minute rounds I think it's absolutely perfect I think the system that they've got now but it's still you know from three rounds to five rounds that's 40% more fight time Right? That's an awful lot. Of, that's a big, big ask. And when you're fighting that, that, those, that, that 40% more, you're not fighting against tomato cans. You're not fighting against bums. You're fighting the absolute best in the game, right? So not only are you fighting 40% more, you're fighting opponents that are 100% better, you know? And you know, for somebody like with both Max Holloway and Jose Aldo, I would advise them to spend as little time in that cage as possible on Saturday night, come what may, whether they go out on their shield or whether they go out of there as the champion. But, you know, the longer they have to. Spend in there, the tougher it's going to be for both of them.
0: It's it's and it's 66% more, isn't it? <laughs> My math's it's it's yeah, more. so like it's three, it's two of that would be 66%. So it's two onto three, that's five
1: more. So 66%. More. Yeah, you're you're entirely correct. And, uh, uh, do you know what I was saying? I was going, look, if, at least if I get this wrong, I know Sean's going to correct me. I, I could be wrong there, and I was no, the the, that the last, what I was thinking was like two, two rounds out of five is 40% yeah, is of the 40%, entire fight. Yeah, yeah, That's sorry. where I screwed. Yeah. It's 40% less the three rounds we, so we're, we're ball it right, is. I think. Yeah, so yeah, it's um, a shame there's no leave there insert this year because yeah. otherwise we could have helped people.
0: <laughs> I would have got a fucking V1 again. Very, I nearly got that <laughs> day, A, fucking bastard. I would have failed. Oh, yeah, <laughs> sure. Look, these things happen. Uh, and this Usman versus Burns fight, like watching. Gilbert Burns is one of these fighters, right, where you watch him. I went back and I watched the Gunnar Nelson fight as well. And I watched a bit of the Tyron Woodley fight and a couple of other ones as well. And do you know what he reminds me of? Like, a little bit like Dos Anjos back in the day when he kind of came to to be, the, you know, the best fighter in the world. To be the champion. He just... In MMA, right, we talk about skill and we talk about, um, you know, we talk about all these different things. Cardio and all this... But there's still a place in MMA. I think. I it was funny. I was Shane Dowling, uh, at the Limerick hurler, retired this year, and I saw a Buffy again. The famous Buffy again talking about maybe he's the last of a dying breed. You know, kind of a little bit of a pudgy fella who's just very skilled coming on, and, and maybe he is. But in MMA, like I still think there's a place for just hard-headed fuckers who will go forward and they don't give a shit. Now, not to take away from Gilbert Burns, very skilled fighter as well, but his skills will only get him so far, and, oh, you know, he's skills on the ground, and he's still setting up, his skills on the ground, obviously a very, very good, world champion, or whatever he might be, but, he, I think it's, this newfound ability, to just go forward, and use what you're good at, to, make you even better and to pick off guys like Tyron Woodley and, and just get to where he's gotten to right now and I also think you know I was looking at um, Artem Lava they, they UFC put up a fight from him the other day in tough and now he came through in tough and knocked three guys out at a time and you know okay it's a ver- obviously a very different level of fighter but we've seen fighters like this in the past Cerrone when he won 3, 4, 5 fights in a row when they fight regularly and they keep going they keep in camp it benefits them some guys absolutely thrive on this and they absolutely love it and Gilbert Burns seems to be one of these guys he's he's, I think he's fought twice now isn't it? in front of empty crowds this is going to be his third time Yeah. and he's fighting Usman who hasn't fought in a good while in that absolute war with Colby Covington and we'll get to Usman in a second but I, I think like I'm big in Usman to win the fight but I, I, you can't rule Burns out here can you when he's that sort of guy when he's a winner you know that's what that is, that's what he is he's a winner and he's in form and he seems to thrive when he, he gets into the form he's a, he's, a, he's a difficult guy isn't he as well for Usman
1: well, this is the thing one of the most exciting things that we can see as fight fans and as journalists watching this sport right is seeing a heavy favourite get clipped with mm. a big right hand or a big left hand right and then especially if it's against a grappler like Burns because you know that if this goes to the mat, you know there's no, there's no safety down there you're not pulling guard here and thinking that you're going to get over this you know mm. and you know, the the great benefit of this fight is we know that that can happen at any time right yeah. like about Burns he's no bum you know there's a reason he's in there I know Aldo is kind of you know sold in there and to a bantamweight title fight on his name but Burns has fought his way to this opportunity he deserves this opportunity and you know without guys like uh, Gilbert Pros, this sport cannot even exist right because there's hundreds of guys like that who are sparring with really good amateurs and you know low level pros that go on to become high level pros and without getting past guys like Burns you're not going anywhere you don't have a sport you need hard-headed contenders you need fellas to go in there and if they get beat they go out in their shield right if they get beat they get beat fair and square but they'll go in there and you're not not going to beat them easy, you're not going to tickle them under the chin and then it's all over, you know, whatever happens on Saturday night, Usman's going to have to fight, you know, if he does, I think we all, like, I think he's a fairly large favourite, I don't know what the odds are at the moment, but, you know, everybody's kind of picking Usman to win, but, you know, that's not to say that Burns can't win, and if he was to rock Usman, I mean, I'd love to see that, it's kind of like, I would love to see Khabib get, uh, like, you know, a good hard left hand from Connor at some point that didn't put him out, but just, okay, now let's see what he does, because that's adversity writ large, okay, when somebody has caused your knees to wobble, right? That's what I want to say. And it's also the proving of the great champions. You know, we've seen GSP lost on his way to the title, you know, to, to becoming probably the greatest fighter ever, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's what they do in those situations, in those fights, you know. We saw it, you know, it was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in sport when Connor gave up his back the first time against Diaz and lost the fight there. And it was to see what he did after that. I mean, th- that fight was over there and then, But to come back then and to win the rematch in the way that he did, you know. And Usman, I'm having a hard time thinking of any anybody in recent years who I kind of thought, oh, okay, you know, yeah, I can understand how this. Way. You know, he just, he just seems to be so dominant now. You know, like he just seems to be so, so good and so rounded and that kind of thing. And he just seems to have all the answers to anybody who's put in front of him, kind of thing. You know, so I don't know, but like that's why Burns to me is an absolutely perfect matchup. I was kind of weighing it up as going, does he really deserve this or not? Mm-hmm. And very quickly I came to the conclusion, yeah, he fucking does because you know he has as much a chance as anybody in there at welterweight.
0: Yeah, I think like obviously the the whole Masvidal, but like himself and Masvidal, he really put himself right up there with Masvidal. I still Masvidal deserves it in front of him, but Masvidal wouldn't take the fight, and he's
1: well within his rights not to take it because of money but um yeah 100 percent. But I, but I think as know? well if you're gonna if you're gonna have the two of them you know if you're gonna compare the two of them as fighters i think masvidal has been you know he has made the most of certain circumstances right mm-hmm. the biggest one being that you know the like the stone cold knockout of ben askin really put him into the stratosphere you know now you're talking about you know how many fights has masvidal he must have about 150 professional fights yeah, at this yeah. stage right <laughs> but but he never really you know I, I can never remember seeing him you know before but the last two or three years seeing him fighting well you You know, he didn't have that. Whereas Usman kind of has had that that X factor all along kind of thing, you know. But my apologies for interrupting you there, sir. No
0: brand, no. But, yeah... It's it, it's interesting because like Usman did have that, but he he always had it in kind of um, he never had it in the exciting way that Masvral had it, and you know, kind of like we talked about uh, Mighty Mouse coming up, they need he needs a file, he needs someone exciting with him, and he never really got that. Maybe he got it with Triple C in the end, but he he left in it, it, never happened. But I, I feel like for Usman Masvral could be, and he probably still will be that where he'll beat him and you know make him look a bit little bit better. But I think I think Masvidal, or, uh, sorry, Usman. I've, like, I've always talked about him. I think I've, I've championed him as as the next champion all the way along. Uh, and he's one of these guys as well. He beat Tyron Woodley, and you didn't know what Tyron Woodley really looked like. And then Tyron Woodley came out in his next fight against Gilbert Burns, and he kind of you know he laid another egg there. So it wasn't great. But then he came out against Co- Covington. A very close fight, and it... It, an odd fight in in certain ways because it's two heavy wrestlers who are good strikers as well. I think Covington especially is a very underrated striker and Usman is very good but they came out and they didn't wrestle once. I went back and watched the whole fight. So it's it's kind of hard to take much from either of those two fights apart from Cameron Usman is brilliant and he's a fantastic fighter and we've everything we've seen before that is brilliant as well but he, like... Watching Usman, he I've never. Well, I I have seen fighter like, but I I, I, obviously I've never seen a fighter like this before. But he's (laughs) he's brilliant at just. He's, he's a pure juggernaut. He's like a computer game character. I mean, he just keeps going forward and keeps doing these same things over and over and over. You know, he's like a... I've been watching Last Chance U, uh, you know, the American football thing. And, American uh, football, yeah. Yeah, there's so many of them who are, like, really badly coached and will just refuse to do anything and do the wrong thing all the time. He's, like, the opposite of that. He's, like, really well coached, just non-stop throwing his proper techniques and throwing them... And there's a big difference between just throwing your proper techniques and throwing them at a bag or whatever it is when they're... There's a guy 170 pounds or probably 190 pounds in the, in the cage that night coming against you and it's fucking whether it's Tyron Woodley or whether it's Colby Covington or Gilbert Burns to do it and to have the bravery and the hard chin and, the, and just the the balls to do it is brilliant and Usman has that like and his, his striking I think has improved along the way all the time it'll be interesting to see his tactics here because he went from taking Tyron Woodley down for five rounds over and over and over barely striking to not wrestling at all in his next fight and knocking out Colby Covington a bit controversial but he knocked him out you know Mark Goddard stopped it in the end but it was, it was fine um, so it'll be interesting to see what he does here Gilbert Burns obviously we know he's very good in the ground but he's very good in striking as well will he take him down will he risk getting submitted you know I I think it's a very interesting tactical fight as well I, w- I would favour Usman but I can't rule out Burns if, if this was a year ago and they were, they were talking about this fight it's a come on what, what are you doing making this fight but now uh, <laughs> i now I'd still pick Usman but it's uh it's an interesting one. Like three very interesting, similar sort of fights, you know, where you favour that one guy to win it, but would... Like, it, this could be a card where we could have three shocks and we could have three new champions, but it also... Could, or Well, there's going to be one new champion anyway, but we it could also be a card where we have Jan winning, we have Volkanovski winning, we have Usman winning, and... They're, they're 15 rounds and it's not all that exciting you know it's one of those but it, it, it you know I think people like me and you and everyone listening to this uh, podcast will enjoy kind of the tactics of it uh, either way so I'm I'm really looking forward to it. And as you said in coming after it, Jessica Andrade versus Rose Yunus the rematch of that fight where Rose was dominating and Jessica Andrade as Jessica Andrade does just picks her up and smashes her against the ground and fucking breaks her skull. Uh, and it's that's the sort of sport I made as well. The thing about Yunus, I know you want to talk about this fight so we, we'll uh, we we'll talk about it briefly for a second. I, f- I feel like Yunus, you know she always talks about her her mentality and you know her, her, her problems maybe in that area. I think She's one of the most mentally strong fighters inside the cage of anyone in the world. I think she's brilliant. Because you don't get someone who comes in, you know, green as she was when she started off coming through tough and into MMA. What was she in the UFC when she was three fights deep or something like that? Fighting for a title very early. And to lose like that and to come back and become the best fighter in the world and to lose again. I think she can come back. And I think she'll beat Jessica Andrade personally. I just think... I I I think Rosanmune is is phenomenal inside and outside of the cage, and I'm really looking forward to seeing this fight. Jessica Andrade as well. Don't get me wrong, but um, I'm really looking forward to this fight. How how, how do you see it? Why was it, why was this the, this the kind of standout one to you?
1: Yeah, it's exactly that, Sean. It's the fascination I have with her mentality, right? Because we're so used to seeing people say, if you take how Connor or Dylan Danis or James Gallagher, go on and a couple out, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest. That's grand. Mm. But Rose doesn't. She does this fragility, this vulnerability. Yeah. She talks about, you know, I didn't want to do this, I didn't want to be there, I didn't want, you know. She cancelled a recent fight because two relatives had died, apparently from COVID nineteen, if I recall correctly. So, you know, she said she didn't want to fight at that time, and she's absolutely open about this. And she says, you know, sometimes she says, I don't know, I don't know if I want to Fight. I don't know how long I want to keep fighting on you know so this. you know she just she comes in and she does it and I find that fascinating because a lot of athletes a lot of fighters to, to say those things out loud would be to admit that they're scared or mm-hmm. to admit that they're not as invested in this as they might have been, you know, and yes, we have an absolute savage like she comes across, you know, with her lovely tennis ball haircut as being, you know, one of the nicest people, most soft-spoken people outside the cage, and yet she can be a total savage in there, you mm-hmm. know, and this is what I find so fascinating uh, for, for so fascinating about her, and it's her, you know, heroine's journey, if you like, you know, can she come back from what happened last time out against that uh, because it, that, that to me was a shock, I don't know, I thought it rose at that stage and Amanda Nunes, where I, I don't know, I just thought that they were lifting women's MMA to a completely new level, which Nunes has continued to do, mm-hmm. and the way Rose has done as well, you know. And I just thought, okay, it's going to be interesting to see if that strong mentality that you were talking about, just how strong that is, because you know, it wouldn't have surprised anybody knowing the way that Rose is, if she had to walk away from the sport completely mm-hmm. and just gone off to be with her dogs and her partner, and left and like that. But no, she's decided that she's going to come back, and you can bet your bottom dollar that if she's going to come back. She's going to be coming back looking for revenge, and yet it's not something you see. Ever- outwardly it's not something she says in the media that kind of thing but somewhere in that you know, in that girl there's a fire that burns in her for winning and when that cage doors, door closes and that's when that fire gets ignited and i just find it fascinating to watch
0: mm-hmm. me too 100 other than that we have amanda hebas team sheehan against Paige van zent in her last fight of the last fight even of her ufc career which is uh very much a last fight of your ufc contract fight against hebas who will break her he will hurt her badly (laughs) he will beat her down I feel feeling I think you you
1: know go on I, I, I it's, sometimes I feel sorry for people like Paige Vazad I don't think that they've done all that well in terms of building her brand she's yeah. built that by herself on Instagram mm-hmm. but I think sometimes the UFC resents when fighters do that you know and I think that you know she's been getting now she's had a tough time with injuries as well with that broken arm that just kept on snapping left right and centre but when you're you know this is one of those fights where they're going we really we, we don't want to give you a new contract we just want fucking shutting you now yo, and we just want you out of here you know mm-hmm. which is it's kind of unfortunate because she is she's a, she's a nice girl she's a nice person you know and uh I, i've never really seen her as being you know sort of a title contender or a great fighter as such but she's a great personality to have around the sport kind of thing you know yeah, but I, I, mean, I, I, I don't always,
0: know i always thought her and sage narcutt got an awful hard time of it like they're just okay they're a bit happy and stuff like that and especially miserable bastards like us maybe don't like that but like
1: <laughs> yeah. oh,
0: what <laughs> have re- <laughs> <if> they really <laughs> ever done like okay they are limited fighters but there's a lot of limited fighters in the UFC and if you have them on this fucking card, and like I,
1: I don't know it's yeah. But, <laughs> but if you have that lovely blonde hair and blue eyes and a lovely mm-hmm. smile and you know a bit like Stephen Thompson I mean I just how could anybody ever get angry with Wonderboy uh, it's the it. same thing with Sage you Norton. Know, it's the same thing with Paige you just you just cannot do it I, ca- I cannot find it in me to have any ill will towards them whatsoever and that in itself could be frustrating it's got oh you know could you at least just fucking swear once or something like that you know mm-hmm. but they're just you know Wonderboy calling everybody sir at media days it still blows my mind you know when you think of how sort of you know nonchalant other people in the UFC could be towards uh, that, but Wonder was just the nicest man in the world and the same thing with Paige as well she's lovely and I just I don't know I, I don't know her future is definitely not as a fighter her future is on Instagram it's it's somewhere else and that kind of thing and she's done really really well at what she's doing but it does again it kind of opens up the question as well when you look at Amanda Nunes Amanda Nunes should be on billboards in every city mm-hmm. in the world right you have an out gay UFC champion and they haven't managed to leverage that and the same thing with Paige Van Zandt. You remember when she was doing that dancing show in the USA? Yeah. And you know she should have been, you know, like it, it wouldn't have taken much from the UFC, you know, to engineer her on every billboard in Santa Monica at that point. And then, but these things don't last. So you know, a, you know, a couple of months after that, that time had passed, and they chose not to do it, or they just didn't give her the push that was necessary. Maybe they couldn't find a fight, whatever it happened to be, mm-hmm. and it didn't happen. And that's always a little bit, you know, I th- I think it's a little bit unfortunate. You know me, I prefer the sporting side. I prefer, okay, put the best fighter against the best fighter and then tell me who the best fighter is right mm-hmm. but I, I can understand building the sport building the brand you know I think it's a really really good thing to have a sort of a girl next door like a very beautiful young woman like Paige Van Zandt do this to explain to people that this is a sport that mm-hmm. this is normal this is what people do we go and we train I was at the gym today training jujitsu and teaching kids, kids kick, kickboxing all that like kind of these are you know like well-to-do Swedish kids out in the suburbs here right so it's not just a thing you know, you know boxing gyms and immigrant ghettos that's not where we're at anymore mm-hmm. and I think they really could have used and maximized the exposure that they they got from Paige and they just didn't do it. Now, you know, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that she'll be picked up by Invicta, by Bellator, by somebody else after this? Or do you think she's just going to hang him up after tomorrow night?
0: I think she'll probably go to Bellator. Her husband's in Bellator as well. And I... the, The problem is with Bellator now is that it is in Bellator from six months ago before the pandemic where they were given, yeah. you know, and they have, a, and the zone deal, is that coming to an end? Will they have enough money to give, to give Paige? So I don't know if she's in a good a position now, as she was six months ago, but it, you know, you mentioned there about Amanda Nunes. we actually we'll get to the COVID-19 stuff in a second. So maybe I'll, I'll save it for him. But the UFC's ability to market good things about themselves is shockingly bad, I think because we, we come in here and we, know, say bad things about UFC all the time, and maybe that's we maybe we're too bad, we're too negative on them. But we say good things about them. Well. But they kind of fail miserably. They get Dan I know a very negative person and stuff like that. But he gets caught up so much in the negativity that. That's all he thinks about, and he kind of forgets the positivity and he gives out to us for being negative all the time as well. But he's the one who really should be concentrating more on the positivity, and the Manu Nunes one is a, is a perfect example. But yeah, they, like they failed badly on that. Paige is someone who they should have kept for years and years and years, and they could have made loads of money out of her and still paid her, her fairly. But that's that's kind of the UFC, but anyway, I suppose there are other fights in this card Vulcan Odzamir versus Yuri Bukayat. Yuri, everyone listening to this podcast probably knows him fighting over and risen, beating CB Dalloway, Fabio Maldonado, Mola and um, he's what? Nearly 30 fights now in his career as well, and a huge fight to come in for against Vulcan Odzimir Al- in his debut, and a fight we probably wouldn't have seen a few years ago with uh, with Joe Silva then but it's it's changing times now. Uh, my boy Zeki Dos Santos is fighting Muslim Salikov, Macwan Armakani, Sbgs zone, Ireland's zone fighting Danny Henry, uh, Leonardo Dos Santos He's, as well.
1: Macwan lost last time out, didn't he? He did. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he
0: lost against. Yeah. Let me just look at it here. He lost against Shane Burgos. Yeah, who had obviously a very good performance there a couple of weeks ago well, but lost but uh, yeah, he beat Fish, Chris Fishgold, Frish, Chris Gold, and uh, Jason. Night before that, yeah. So he's you know one two years here race. in
1: Stockholm. Mm-hmm. So like that was this time last year. So it'd be interesting to see how Macron comes back for that because I don't know had he a professional loss before that. I don't think he did. Was he unbeaten until yeah, that point?
0: No, he he lost. Uh, I think he lost one before that. Let me just look here. Yeah, he lost to Aaron uh, Allen I know no, he lost a couple of times as well. He lost once outside yeah. the UFC. Yeah, so yeah, yeah he's uh yeah, like. Amir Khan—he wanted one of the best fighters I saw training in Ireland at the moment with McGregor not fighting—and yeah. um, we must mention uh, someone. We, we mentioned Norman Park in a second uh, as well because he's fighting a big fight next week uh, again. Remind me if I, if I forget, but we have to mention the because I was talking about the good parts of it there, right? And I think the UFC's—and maybe you'll disagree with me here—but I think the UFC's COVID-19 testing for this is absolutely fantastic. Let me just quickly read out here so everyone knows the the thing they send out and what they exactly they're doing. So they have this kind of spreadsheet. It's all over. I think. Mar- so do you see you're testing people 48 hours before they depart putting them into a hotel then uh, from there say if you're in you know stoke and you're going you go down to london i think it is and then you're there for 48 hours in hotel once you pass you they put you on the flight then you get to abu dhabi you go over to the fight island they test you again then you check in at the hotel and then you're quarantined in your room uh until you pass that test then you get a third test uh, at the uh, sorry th- th- that that second one is before you get to... oh yeah sorry at the hotel and then you quarantine in your hotel and you get the the re- uh, the results from that then you go to the Yaz Island and you are around there so everyone who's get gets there is tested then before each event they're tested again uh, and obviously remain part of the kind of that bubble and then they're tested again before they uh, they leave for Phi Island and they're they're brought home so lots of tests there. Let me just count them there because I might have fucked that up as well. So there's one, two, three, four, five at least. And I think if you're, uh, if you're doing maybe a couple of events, you'll probably get a couple more tests in there as well. So to me, this especially testing before they go and test them before sending them home as well and testing them while they're there as well is very good but I think this is fantastic I think this is what you need to do to have a safe event and you can't have a completely safe event in these times don't get me wrong if something happens something happens but they're trying their their damnedest and this is what I wanted at the very start this is why I came on and was very critical of them because they weren't doing this at the start or weren't planning this at the start but then now they've put it in. I think this is this is fantastic and I think you know, they're probably leading the way in what they're doing. The Premier League I think they've probably done well as well. Maybe you can speak onto that a little bit more. But what do you think of this uh this strategy they have coming up for Covid nineteen in the Yaz Island? It's-
1: no, it's absolutely brilliant. I mean, the whole idea of it is really good. I like the fact that it's not in Florida because Florida is getting hit so hard by COVID-19 at the moment, but mm-hmm. like you say, this is exactly what one would have wanted to see in the very, very beginning of this. But it, it all comes down to what's important to you, you know? And at the beginning, the important thing for Dana White was to put on fights because they needed to provide content to ESPN. Mm-hmm. And now when they've discovered that, okay, we can actually do this, and it had to be refined in that, you know, and I probably wouldn't have had as big a problem with it in the beginning, Sean, if they hadn't banned everybody from speaking about it, right? Mm-hmm because we're all learning here, we're all learning the best way to do it. When you're reading out the test movement, test movement, that's essentially what this is. Every time you change location here, you're tested, right? Which is absolutely brilliant. So that is absolutely perfect because it stops uh, incidental contamination, right? So, you know, if you can prove this thing, because, you know, all a test is really, all a COVID-19 test is, is a snapshot in time, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you can you can have the virus and you, you may not know it. You might get tested. I know people have been tested several times and it's only in the third or fourth test that they they get their, can fair and positive, right? Mm-hmm. But this is about as comprehensive as you can get, you know? And th- it's brilliant, and I hope that absolutely that this applies to absolutely everybody, to people working in TV and, and media, and to, you know, the people doing the catering, and the people who are working at the venue, and that kind of thing. That would be fantastic. As far as I know, they have 10 square kilometres to themselves on Yaz Island, so they may be able to do this, you know? And I know I take the piss and say that, you know, i yeah, fight Ireland, it's not even an island, it's a peninsula, etc., mm-hmm. etc. You know, this is actually a really good... If you're going to do this thing, you know, I mean, in the beginning I thought, what I objected to, was. Mm-hmm. To, that, oh they're going to do this thing because it's this you know they're just showing off kind of thing yeah. and i really didn't like the idea of doing things in florida you know people you know cowboy drove there from his ranch and this kind of thing is called jesus you know it, all you have to do is fill up at a gas station and you bump into three or five or ten people you know so but now it seems to be thought through now this seems to be bed better down and now they're there for how many events is there? there's like four events down in abu dhabi yeah, over the like next that, few yeah. weeks
0: yeah. yeah it's a busy time yeah, up so there. so
1: yeah, but that's good because, like, you know, they get a lot of their people inside the bubble. They bring the fighters in and out. The, the like routines always improve over time, right? Mm-hmm. So you will discover what works and what doesn't work. What works for fighters, what's practical. Some of this stuff now, I think, is going to cause a few difficulties because if you have a fighter who's confined to the room for two days, it's very difficult to spar, or to grapple, or to do anything in that time in a, in a hotel room. You know, so now I know that they're going to be sort of you know tapering these things off down towards fight week and that kind of thing. That they're not going to train a whole lot on fight week, but depending on when they're brought in and that, that may cause a few issues, I don't know if it causes issues in terms of weight cutting or nutrition or whatever I I doubt, you know, at this stage it is because they've had, you know, I mean, when was the first events in Jacksonville? Was that the end of May start of June? Time, time is just a, doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, time yet. is a it's yeah, it's an elastic concept at the moment, is, you know. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so it is quite a while ago. So yeah, no, they definitely and they deserve credit. They de- definitely deserve credit for doing it. But like you say, you know, it's just a shame they couldn't do it from the start. The one thing you'd like to see in the UFC and this goes for across the board is a little bit of humility. This idea that Dana White or the UFC that they always know best in every situation, you don't. And if mm-hmm. there's one thing that COVID nineteen can teach us all is that we don't. You know, we can yeah. all learn. We can all improve we can all be better and that goes for sports organisations the same thing goes like the NBA at the moment is looking to get going again in Florida Disney World right they've already had nine players test positive they've had certain players who have refused to go there because they don't want to be away from their families for three months or they don't think it's a responsible thing to do to be playing basketball now you know so that's great you know we're learning from all these things as we go along I am sure there are fighters sitting at home this weekend who've been offering places on this card who just don't think it's worth it that they won't be paid enough for it or that the risk to them and their families is too great you know and that's Fantastic, but you know, by having a little bit of humility, by able to by being able to say, look, I don't agree with you, but I accept your point of view on this, because that's essentially what the whole thing was about in the very beginning. the Jacksonville, when we realized that journalists wouldn't be able to talk about it, fighters wouldn't be able to be critical of the testing regime or anything like that, You're like you know, there was no humility in that whatsoever. That was an arrogance of saying we're right, we're always right, and take it or take it or leave it. So now this seems to me to be much much better, and I really do hope that you know, I know Casey Layden was at uh, one of the events in the Vegas recently and he was very complimentary towards how the UFC did everything uh, they got food packed into individual boxes and everything for the media when they're going to eat and that and it all sounded brilliant so he was very positive towards it you know and I mean Casey and everybody else it's our job often to be critical of these things not to be negative for no reason but to be critical of these things if if that's what we see you know so I really hope that it is going to be a positive experience and it continues to be you know until such time as we can get crowds back in there again
0: mm-hmm, 100% right last two things Philip I thank you very much we always go over the fake and but butcher what can we do? um i threw it into for two questions we got two questions from the lads over so sean asked about norman Parker, and i meant to talk about that more as well but uh obviously the third fight uh matthias cameron versus park this weekend park uh, obviously won the interim title and this is a unification now uh this weekend they're having it in a studio i'm not i haven't i'll, I'll ask them and I'll, I'll tweet out and stuff about the testing what way they're doing it so i haven't heard about that yet maybe they have said it but i haven't heard it but um uh, Shandini asked about that and studio shows in general and that, and that fight. Like, to, to me, that, that and I'll talk to you about the studio shows and stuff. But that fight it was a fantastic fight the last time. Um, obviously, a lot of bad blood there, a lot of previous when when there's two fights. The last fight I almost hit in the fucking riots. <laughs> it's gonna be uh, you know, whenever you see whenever you see Norman <laughs> Park fighting, it's gonna be a, a hard nosed battle, and it doesn't really matter who the opponent is, he's dragging them into that. And uh, I'm really looking forward to like Norman. Norman is one of these guys. Like a lot of guys get out of the UFC and get caught from the UFC, and that's kind of the end of them. You see them, they maybe go to cage wars or go to Bama or whatever they might be, and you know, like kind of chain mills have a couple of fights, and then they're not what they used to be. Where Norman Park is kind of maybe he's not improved so much, but he's kind of kept up what he was. And he's a few times he struggled to make weight, and he's had issues and things like that. But Norman seems to be one of these guys who's just kind of keeps trudging along and keeps beating everyone. And he's just an insane competitor when he. Gets in there and Gamrat is the same, so it makes for a very, very good fight. But uh, what do you think of this fight and, and uh, the shows in the uh, in studios in general?
1: It's kind of weird, Sean, because I'm all for having as much sport as possible on the television, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm watching these, you know, this debate in soccer at the moment, whether it's a good idea to have the crowd noise or without the crowd noise. I fucking hate the crowd noise, but I can see why people would enjoy it, Mm -hmm. you know? But, you know, but would we still be watching these things if, you know, we're now almost into the period where there will be the European qualifiers, or sorry, the Champions League and Europa League qualifiers and these kinds of things, you know, would you, those games with crowd noise, yeah, I don't know. You know, it's just certainty Things work well. This could be a dinger of a fight either way. If these two lads were fighting in a car park, we'd all turn up and watch it because it's going to be a cracker. Right? But I do think that, you know, you can lose just by putting things on in the studio. You know, if you have a studio somewhere and you know that you can put it on in fights, doesn't mean that you should you know you need to pick out fights to have something like this fight where there is previous between the two of them you know it'd be like you know and it, like when we were going down to the, the fights on the UFC card there there's something in all of those fights that make it compelling to watch whereas if you're just putting on fights because later on in the UFC cards are coming up after there's some fairly slim pickings on some of those cards that you go okay we're going to watch them anyway but you know it's just because we've nothing else to do with that time you know so you really need to be a little bit selective about it this fight yeah absolutely I'd put it on absolutely anywhere but I don't know I don't know anything about the undercard of this because i haven't had a chance to look at it yet you know but i don't know what else is on there so but it's got like you say park is one of those great guys because Like the UFC should not be everything. It shouldn't be, you know, like that's the Premier League. And if a fellow drops out of that, well, then he has no future. Look at Mm -hmm. the Serie A and there's the Premier League and there's all these other things. So, and that's the great thing about severe MMA and the great thing about the MMA community that you speak to, the people who listen Mm -hmm. to this podcast is like Sean Denny is incredibly interested in Polish MMA and in Asian MMA and all these other things that maybe other people, you know, let's call them the casuals, that they're not going to watch, you know. Mm -hmm. And there's an incredible level of knowledge out there. And people who know fighting understand. That Norman Park has actually improved outside of that. You know, it's like seeing Paul Redmond getting cut from the UFC. Reds are still an absolutely fantastic fighter and he's done well in Bellator and he's been a really great brand ambassador for them and for his sponsors in that time because he's a pro. He's a hard working guy. Like, I don't think anybody did more running or cycling than him during the lockdown. Every time I turned on Twitter, that young fellow was running somewhere or biking somewhere or biking somewhere to run somewhere or something, you know. So, you know, there is a life outside of that and we have to understand that. You know, what makes the UFC great is the fact that it really is, for the most part, the absolute top fighters. I remember going back a few years before Ben Askren, when Ben Askren was still fighting in one, and you and me were talking one time, and like I was just curious. I thought, well, if he can be this dominant in one, because one is still the pick of Asia, you know, what's he going to be like in the UFC? Now, as it turned out, he was pretty disastrous, but at least we got that question answered. You know, it still is really good because it's it's restrictive. You don't have... 3,000 people on contracts and development deals and everything else like that you have a few hundred hand-picked fighters of the absolute top best fighters in the world this Mm -hmm. is why cage warriors are so important because Graham Boylan can school you and put you up to that level if you have that in you and you're ready to work in it you know so Mm -hmm. but absolutely but you know Norman Park should absolutely not be forgotten or ignored just because he's fighting under a different banner and anybody who's ever watched him since he was caught will know that Mm -hmm. 100% and last thing here
0: uh, Paddy Hoolan what was the story I I came on Twitter the other day, and the only time I really see an Irish fighter trending now is usually Paddy hoolan when something happens with Chin Féin yeah. or he gets in trouble. What was the story here? They put him up for mayor, and that story that we talked yeah. about, the two of us talked about in the podcast a couple of months ago, kind of popped up again, and what was the, what was the crack this time?
1: Yeah, it was a little bit like the Brendan Schaub syndrome. When Paddy's podcast, Paddy's podcast is brilliant. He gets people in there and, and he spitballs with them and he talks away and, you know, he thinks out loud a lot, right? Mm-hmm. But the problem is, like, certain things that you might say to your friends at a pub or when you're teasing out an issue, right? Mm-hmm. We'll say that if we were to do a podcast for severe MMA about feminism and we <laughs> don't know anything. Yeah, but, but no, the, and know. this is an absolute minefield because mm-hmm. one of us would probably end up saying something uh, or, you know, if you were to bring on Graham as well and P T and Noel, oh, right? And the five of us would sit talking about but like somebody's going to say something offensive, right? Now, this is what has happened with Paddy, right? Paddy has been talking about things like when he spoke about Leo Varadkar, he was talking about blood and talking about, you know, how could Leo Varadkar uh, understand Ireland in the same yeah. way that, you know, he's a, a, a thoroughbred Irishman, whereas one of, one of Leo's parents is from, is from uh, India, right? Which is, it's a nonsense, right? All our blood is exactly the same. That's the beginning of the end of it, right? There's no difference in understanding. These things are all constructs, right? The same thing, Paddy told an anecdote that, that we've all heard, right? Uh, about underage girls, basically about underage girls having sex with men and blackmailing them, right? Mm -hmm. Now, you cannot have sex with an underage person. You can only rape them right? That's just the way it works. That's what statutory rape is. So in in what Paddy was saying about that, that's one of these old wives tales. You would have heard a lot about people coming over from Africa and, you know, they couldn't get their buggy on the bus in Dublin, so they'd just leave it there because the yeah. Department of Social Welfare would buy it with a new one, right? You hear these stories all the time, but they never fucking happened, you know? there's like Find me a blackmail case like that one Paddy is talking about, right? But the unfortunate thing for Paddy is that Paddy has done, his grown up in public. He has done these things to 20, 30, 50,000 listeners on the No Shame podcast, so the receipts, are there. So when you have political enemies or political opponents, well, let's not even call them enemies, they're going to go through every public statement, right? And they're going to pull out you know, what is injudicious, what you've said that could be perceived as being racist or sexist or misogynistic, or that indeed was racist or sexist or misogynistic or whatever happens. And that's the problem that Paddy is, is, that's the, the predicament that he finds himself in now. He said these things, and you know, you know Paddy, I know Paddy, Paddy's a lovely fella, right? You know, there isn't an evil bone or a bad bone in that man's body, right? Some of the opinions that he holds, like the ones when he's talking about Leo Varadkar and when he's talking about young girls and blackmail and that kind of thing, you know, th- they're not correct, right? He's on the wrong track here. That's the nicest way I, can, way I can say it, right? And if we're to sit down over a drink or a cup of coffee, I'm sure that we, he would be open to hearing about why these things are the way they are and why one shouldn't say things in that way, right? But when you live as a public representative, these things are going to happen, you know. And I do think that you know it's probably best for a party you know the the problem in Irish politics is often the people put themselves before the party it's probably best for Paddy to take a step back from politics and to think about a few of these things down to work them out because you know Paddy also knows how the media business works you know but he got blindsided by this because this is politics and you know as they always say themselves it's senior hurling and it can get a bit dirty but as I say you know I still love, still love Paddy Holland. I don't agree with you know many of the things that Paddy has said in the past but that doesn't make Paddy a bad person that makes Paddy a person who has some thinking to do on some subjects that's all
0: So vote fine basically, is <laughs>
1: <laughs> under nose no I'm not going to do that I'm not going to do that right? oh, at... sorry I, 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 right I, had, I had to warm I had to <laughs> I had to have a go at I, your I to, I that. that was an open goal Sean. you have to take that one you have to take I it to. <laughs>
0: right Philip thank you very much thanks everyone for listening follow him at Philip O'Connor tell him about your Patreon tell him about my Patreon as well while you're here and tell him where to sign up Jesus.
1: Patreon.com forward slash Severe MMA is That's definitely one, a place yeah. that you want to be. Uh, or you want to be at patreon.com forward slash Ironman in up. Mm-hmm. I'm also on this coffee thing. I think it's K-O, um, what you call it, uh, hyphen F-I, right? And so yeah. if somebody wants to go in there and buy me a coffee, you're not sort of you know signing up for 12 months or 24 months or anything else like that. Mm-hmm. You can just show me the price of a coffee and it enables me to keep going and uh, doing podcasts like this and talking to fascinating people like yourself. Thank you, for I actually the the, the one
0: uh, the one time I had y- or you had me in your back pa- I think I fucked it up badly. We need to do that again. I I wasn't happy with that at all. I was I was off my game that day. We we'll have to do it again. We will have to do a. Your audience needs to hear a better side of Shanti. And when I'm like tired or when I'm fucking you know when I'm when I'm
1: on oh, my game. <laughs> Chase jesus no, no, the, the door is always open. Like, this is one of those things where I don't call you, you just call me and say it's time, yeah. and then we'll do it. Like, I, I, like love, Bruce Buffer. I love when
0: people do that to me. It's like, when are you get me back in your pocket? And like, tomorrow, are you ready? <laughs> like, I think lads like us kind of love that. It's like, come on, let, let, let's do it. Don't, don't make me have to do it. You, you do it for me. But uh, anyway, right, yeah, ex- exactly.
1: <laughs> we spent so much time chasing fucking guests, and somebody who actually wants to talk yeah. to us, that's a, that's like a Christmas present, yes, you
0: know. And I, all, I always go too long with you, always. But thank you very much for listening, Shondini, has that article in KSW out as well during the week I have to mention that uh, Ian O'Neill has an article coming out as well previewing the card coming up I'm sure Andy Stevens will have something out Graham will do fucking nothing as per usual and Shawnee Podcast will have you covered Perfect, yeah. all week every week we'll see you next time good luck